I, I, I'm excited what God is doing uh, in these days, and I'm glad to be a part of it. I mean that with all my heart. I, I would not want to be alive in any other time of history. We are at the right place at the right time. And, uh, and I trust, knowing this church, that you in the last few years have made the shift that's needed to come to be able to meet the needs of this particular time. Latter days of the latter days. And I mean that with all my heart. I, I believe it. I, uh, somebody was saying the other day, it was kind of a joke, uh, they posted that, you know, as I can't wait to wake up every morning to see which page of Revelation ha unfolds today. <laughs> you know, and, and we're kind of there. Um, although it's, um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a powerful thing to, to be a part of it. 1991, Linda and I were directing YWAM in, in Idaho, and, and I was uh, on a trip with um, about 30 other guys into uh, Guinea-Bissau, West Africa, to be able to build uh, a building uh, for uh, a YWAM base there that had just uh, opened uh, a year or so before. There were, it's a Portuguese-speaking uh, nation, so the YWAMers there were from Brazil, Portuguese speaking, and they were just uh, amazing. I've never seen such uh, selfless serving in, in all my life in missions. And, and many of them were dealing with malaria and dengue fever and, and uh, still going on every day. And what we were doing was we were building this, this, this long brick building to be able to extension for the University of the Nations with YWAM. And, and it was, you know, it's near the equator. It was really, really hot. Uh, those of us that came in uh, were, were done at noon because the heat was just horrible. Uh, the, uh, uh, it, being in a foreign country, for many of these people, especially that, I mean, the, the poverty was beyond. I mean, I think the uh, income yearly was $27 per capita and, and uh, per person. And... The, the, the man who had had us come, we were working, of course, just for free because that's exactly what it was the privilege to be able to do that. But he was hiring some locals to work alongside of us. And when we quit, these guys just kept on working. And, and so you're, you're in, this, uh, in this hot sun. There, there, there's mortar, there's bricks, and, and there's this, this barrel of dirty water. And, and, and you know, it, 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 they're alongside of us. And, and it was, it was kind of cool. But right at the beginning, because, you know, there was already a separation. This man is an old-time missionary and an old-time mentality in ways. And he put a barrier around this huge tree in the shade to where we as the Westerners could go in and, and drink water that we had purified. He had purified several times that we could drink the water. And we had that water we could use and, uh, for ourselves, you know, in the heat of the day and and that and and so that's that's what it was the first night we were there we were in two or three different pretty nice western style homes even though everything around it was total africa in in the bush i mean thatch hutches i mean it was everything you would picture and think of the first night uh the the, the even though there was a separation already in our minds uh that we didn't want but it was almost forced on us 
the, somebody from the village had broken into one of our places and, and one guy woke up in the middle of the night and saw this guy going around and pulling people's passports and wallets around and they, he just yelled and they, the guy ran out the window and all of a sudden we had to have guards on our homes at night. And so it was, it was, it was a, getting a, to be difficult. We could feel the separation taking place and we didn't want it. Uh, and, and yet we, we were told, this is what you're to do. You're not to share this water because we only have so much. They have their water and so forth. That's, that's setting the stage. I was asked to speak on an, on an evening uh, that was inviting the village to be able to come in and, and uh, partake of some Western teaching and, and, and so forth. And I was the guy that was asked to speak. And and I felt to share, uh, knowing that, that our, our, our uh, African-American population had come out of that part of Africa. And so I shared that kind of a thing. And I talked about slavery. And I talked about oppression and given an opportunity and all those kinds of things. And, and, and I didn't share for long because I wanted them to be able to come forward and share their story. And so I, I, I opened it up. And, and, I, and I said, I would like you to share. We'd like to hear your story. And one guy came forward and he said, well, I just want to thank these people that came from America to be able to help us and build that and so forth, yada, yada, yada. And I, I said, well, thank you very much, but that's not, I didn't say that's not what I want to hear. But, but uh, I, and, and the next guy came forward and he says, I want you to know, he says, I grew up in this area. He says, I, uh, you know, the communists had just pulled out a year or two before we actually got there. I mean, the place was decimated. They destroyed and decimated that, that people. And, and so here we were. He said, I, I uh, uh, grew up feeling already, you know, the, the barrier of uh, racism. And, and I just felt, you know, kind of on the outside. And then I, I went to university over in uh, uh, Bissau and... And, and, and I, the racism got worse, and he says, I finally quit. And, I just, and, and uh, then, you know, I, I, I wanted to go to church, but I just felt this barrier, you know. And then he said, I, all of a sudden, these YWAMers come from Brazil, and they introduced me to Jesus, and I am thrilled, and I've found life, incredible life, and I'm just so grateful for them. And in my mind, I'm thinking, all Christians are like this. And I couldn't wait for you to come from America to be able to, I could meet more Christians. And I felt that you're all like this until you came. And he said, I was out there on the wall working with you one day and it was hot and one of you went over and you had your own water and I asked, can I have some of that water? And he said, no, you can't. And he pointed, and he pointed to that barrel of water where the, the, we were dipping our, our, our trowels in and it was dirty and so forth. And I'm sitting there listening to this story. And he says, I, I, just, uh, I, I just cannot believe it happened, but he says, I'm, I'm sure that I, I have a different picture of Christianity right now and I don't know why. He says, I know why. And, and he says, I'm very hurt by this. And as he's talking, this guy behind me, most of these guys were from the Northwest, you know, and this big bearded guy that was part of us, he was from the Northwest. And he, he says, Jerry, Jerry, I got to speak. I said, no, this isn't for you. This is for them. And he, said, and he kept on pounding on my back. Jerry, you, I got to speak. And I said, okay, get up there, you know. 
And, and you know, it, it just picture the setting. The only lights were this string of lights that were in this dark town. And, and, and all the native population were there. And he, and he took the microphone and he, and he said, don't, don't sit down, please. He said, I am just so shamed. And I want everybody here to know that I'm the man that told you to drink that dirty water. And I want you to ask your forgiveness for doing that. And, he, and he's just weeping. I mean, just the tears are going down into his beard. And, he, and, he, and, and it's a sight that those of us that were there, we will never forget. Somebody took a picture, and I, I, I wish I could just show you. Of the, and he said, this is what I want to do. He says, I want you to sit in this chair. And he got some water. And he says, I want to take some water from your land. And I want to wash your feet. And the man just resisted and finally says, okay. And it was the most beautiful act that we had ever seen of this man who had grievously wounded this man, knelt down in front and wiped his feet. And the, where the separation was there, it took place. There was a, that humility that took place that night just brought us all together. And everything was different from that point on. I start with that story today to, to illustrate, to, because I want to be able to talk about this whole subject. There's been incredible division in our land. As you could see, in the last few years, I don't think there's been a family that hasn't been affected through the political landscape. And, and, and the, you can just, if you look back and you have the eyes to be able to see and the ears to hear, division started happening. And, and not that there hasn't been a bit of a division, but it's been increasing and increasing. And pretty soon it starts to move into resentment and then bitterness. And here we are. Censoring. Well, if you feel that way, I'm done. See, where, where, where does this all start? Who are we as the kingdom of God? Uh, who are we? Uh, uh, who are we? Jesus said, and I want to turn to that scripture in um, uh, Matthew, where Matthew chapter 16, it says that Jesus came in now, mine's going to be a little bit different here, and, and we're trying to get this together, and, and I don't know how it happened. It was my fault, I'm sure. But he came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others are Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And here's what I want us to hear this morning. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, nobody knows what all the keys are. What the, he gave them the keys. What are those keys? 
uh, so many people here that are in this church, and, and, and in every church, God has his, his people that have been around a while and are past the tests. And you understand that one of those keys is, is the name of Jesus. We sing about it. Uh, to be able to understand that, that when Jesus said, I, 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 I give you authority, I have all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You go therefore, Matthew 28. See, he gave that authority to us. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And when he says, you know, using his name, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. That's one of the keys. I have a brother who lives over in Oregon right now. He just moved. And, 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 um, and, and you, if you were to walk by his place and, and so forth and you needed help, my brother Paul would most likely help you. But if you said, hey, listen, I know Jerry. There'd be no question. Because you know my name. See, that name of Jesus gives us access. Every demon in hell knows that name. But he says, use my name. Use my name. That's one of the keys. Another key is the blood of the cross. There's nothing that you've gone through, no things that you've done, nothing, I don't care what it is, that that blood doesn't cover. It's, the, it's one of the keys that sets us free. Nobody knows all of them. Praise and worship is another key. The song of the Lord. There's so many keys, but I want to share with you the key of forgiveness today. It starts with the word scandalon in the Greek. It's... Um, it, it, we get the word scandal from it and, and, and we interpret it it comes into the Bible as a stumbling block uh, you, you can see it in the Bible where, where Jesus comes to Peter and, and, and uh, the disciples and he says and you don't have to put this up in the board or, or up in the monitor but I, he, he just says to them uh, you know that he's going to be dying he's going to go to the cross and so forth and Peter takes him aside and, and he rebukes Jesus and Jesus turns to him and says, you are a stumbling block to me. The word is scandal on. And what it means is, you and you are the same way. We all have been born with a destiny, with a purpose conceived in the heart of God a long time ago for such a time as right now. And, 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 and as we listen to God and come in through redemption of the Lord Jesus, we get put on track to be able to move on that. And ch children born into the world, and we're born in different places, obviously, uh, uh, you know, there, there's an openness in their heart, and, you know, we can go into that whole teaching, and, and it's beautiful. But the reality is the enemy is into a time in every one of our lives, and if you ask the Holy Spirit, he will show you what that time is, a defining moment when he planted his stuff in you. And it happened through pain. And, and you know, there's so many stories. As many people are in this, those are the stories. As you're given permission to be able to open your life to another person, and we need to be able to start moving in that more. When was that defining moment? As you, those of you who are in the home groups, I'd ask you, just consider that. Take time. But say, when did that happen? Because that's what we were doing for 30 years, Linda and I, in these workshops that we did. Just opening people's lives, and as the Holy Spirit would literally open them. But then we had the opportunity to be able to pray for them, and so often, and so many of the stories that I've told in the last year as I've been here have been forgiveness issues. 
It's the single most key that unlocks not only us, but I want to show you today what it does to the other person. See, stumbling block. It's a, it's a picture of a, of a bear. I, it would, you won't see this, and, you know, but, but I, I, I guess this is my illustration of a bear going along in the woods, and they got an incredible sense of smell, you know, hundreds of times better than ours, and they just move towards something. I smell breakfast, and he starts moving through. See, and, and, he, and he comes to this tree and he sees a little bent sapling. That's what it looks like in the Greek, actually. And, and, it, and it's holding a stinky piece of meat. And he goes, breakfast. And he takes a step and he's trapped. See, that's scandalon. That's, that's what it is. It's, it's not only the trap, because we'll look at the trap, but it's the bait that drew the bear to the trap. And that's exactly what the enemy has been wanting to do in all of our lives and has accomplished in every one of our lives in some way or another to be able to alienate us from the Father in heaven and his Son. And it's what the cross is all about, is to be able to bring redemption and to be able to right that wrong. Now, I... I, I love it to be able to see lives set free. But it doesn't, as I say, pain is the entryway for those things that have changed us and alienated us from God, those defining moments. And it's always painful. But I want to be able to reinforce today that pain is not your enemy. The enemy's tactics in bringing you into pain was not the pain itself. But in the same way that a city, when, it's in, when the enemy comes from the outside and it sets up a siege ramp and so forth, once the walls of that city are pierced, it opens up the door for that enemy to come in and change the entire culture of that city. And that's exactly what the enemy has done for every one of us. To alienate, us, to alienate us. And so many times we will get saved and we will, you know, come to Christ and, and, and we, we, we've, we've, we've accepted that salvation and we've repented from sins, but we've never repented from the ongoing process of the philosophies that we developed during that time of alienation. See, and a lot of us need to be able to change that. I, I, I am continually holding my thought processes and my, the things that I see, my worldview before the Lord and saying, you can have permission to change that. And that's not easy to do. If you've ever in the last few years had an encounter with somebody and it was political or whatever, you know you cannot change their mind. You're wasting your breath and they can't change yours. I'm a 49er fan, and you Seahawk fans are not going to turn 49er if I say, hey, love the 49ers. <laughs> it's too rooted in you. How much more? How much more the issues of life? And what do we as the church do about it? What keys do we have at our disposal to be able to change our society? We're the church. We're the salt. We're the light. I'm not saying change your politics because it has nothing to do with politics. 
Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And in the last bit of time, I've had to say, Lord, is the freedoms that I share in America become an idol for me? And am I looking to that rather than to your kingdom? May your kingdom come. Because I know people that live in other lands that are far freer than a lot of people that are walking around me today in America. And they live in some pretty difficult places because it has nothing to do with the blessings that have been poured out on us. Um, this is so crazy. Those of you that were in the first service, you're going, man, this is a different message. <laughs> in the King James says, whosoever sins you retain, John 20, 23, and, and in, in, in the NRV it says, whosoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whoever sins you do not forgive, they are not forgiven. But in the King James it says, whoever sins you retain, it means to hang on to, hold on to. If somebody offends you, you have a right now to be able to, based on the law, to be able to get even with them. It's called justice. It's called justice. If you poke out my eye, I own you. How come? Justice tells me I get to poke out your eye. See, that's the way it works. And it's recorded in heaven. Whatsoever, what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Jesus said. See, and in the King James, again, what you, what you, you know, retain, they're held on to. Hang on. It's a binding thing when somebody offends you. It's like, okay, injustice, it's, it's heaven, heaven sees this. And you now own that person. And Jesus said, if you find yourself in a place where this kind of a thing is going on and you're trying to have a time of worship with me, this is a paraphrase, forget the worship. Lay down your, your sacrifice. Go make it right until they may take you to the court. And the court will turn you over to the jailer and you will stay there until you pay the last penny. And I don't think we understand that. So how do we get out of this? See, it starts with resentment. If somebody offends me, I, I, you know, I don't like it. But it was a process of meditation on that offense that followed it that brought me deeper and deeper into the darkness. And the enemy was right there to be able to bring me into it. Oh, trust me, Satan's right there, or, or one of his cronies reinforces it and he's always reinforcing alienation between you and that person and they're going to be lies about yourself and, and distance from God and his character and all these lies combine to man I, I'm becoming a mess here and the more I think about this person the more it's like a, a woman kneading yeast into the bread and that poison is being kneaded into my soul which only started right here. And now I'm thinking about it and meditating on it, and you're gonna, sucker's gonna pay. I can do that pretty good, huh? <laughs> uh, I'm gonna tell a story that'll say, yeah, you've been there. 
See, and it, it's a, it, it doesn't stay resentment. Every time I think about you, it means I'm resending it back to you, this poison. And I take on the assignment to make you pay. And that turns into bitterness, and it's everything the enemy wanted to plant. Oh, the pain's good, he says, but this is the beautiful part of it. Now you're exactly who I wanted you to be. I remember we were doing this in a workshop one time. Linda had one group, I had another, and I was finished with mine, and I came in the back, and they were trying to help out this woman. She was uh, in the business world and, and worked her way up in, in, into corporate America and, 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 and had been used and abused by men most of her life. And, and there were men helping her to be able to move towards forgiveness, and she was sitting there like this with this bitterness on her face. And, and she would not do it. And, and, and if she did do it, it didn't take. Because you know when it takes. And Linda motioned me. She says, Jerry, can you help me? Help us here. And I walked forward and I knelt down in front of her. And I said, I want you to know something. I know you've been hurt. And I know you've been hurt by men. But everything the enemy wanted to bring into you and your inner person through all of the pain, I see on your face today. He's been very successful. A hard thing to say. I can't remember where she <laughs> what she did with it, but it was because it was so long ago. But the reality of the picture is he has an agenda. You have a right to make him pay. Um, I so many stories. I, I, I mean, story, most of the, like I said, most of the stories I've talked on in the last year here have been forgiveness stories. One I haven't talked about is my sister. I was the uh, youngest of six and, and, uh, and, and 15 years part between me and, and her and 14 between another and 13 between, you know, a brother and so forth. So I was the young kid. And, uh, and, and, I, and I grew up listening to their rebellion and, and, and making vows and all these kind of things that young kids do. And I was siding with my parents and where my parents were going through hard times, I took on their offenses and I became impassionate about it. And, and I remember thinking, man, when, they get, when I get old, they're going to pay. They're going to pay. You know, and here I'm just a little kid. I'm making those kind of vows. You know, and, and uh, one day my, my, well, I'll tell you how my sister, go back a little bit into her story. She was an activist most of her life. She marched with every cause that ever came down the street. She, her, her pain was so great in, in so many areas, and she made horrible decisions in that too. But uh, she had a hard life. She died about three years ago. My brother led her to Christ right before, and I was on the phone with it, and it was glorious. But it was only three weeks of glorious before she died. See, and I, I, I um, when she was four years old, my mother uh, corrected her one time, and, and she, because she, Marie was biting other kids, and, 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 and she got, my mother said, okay, you know, and mom would never do this. We know that, but, you know, four-year-old doesn't know it, and I'm not making excuses for my mom, but that other generation, they did some funny things. And she said to my sister, if you ever do that again, I'm going to get a pliers and pull your teeth out. See? Now, we all know that mom wouldn't have done that, but the four-year-old Marie didn't know this. Well, she bites my other sister. My mom goes and gets the pliers. All right, open up your mouth. And she goes ballistic. 
All right, that's the last chance. And she never bit anybody again. So good parenting, it worked. Well, why do I know that story so well? Because she's told it time, she told it time and time and time again. And she could never forgive my mother. And the pain of her bipolar personality brought so much pain into the, our, our lives that by the time I grew up, I, I just, I didn't want anything to do with her. None of us wanted anything to do with her. She, every time we get together, it was just chaos. And she made up her mind. She says, I don't want anything to do with you people ever again. I, I mean, honestly, I'm, I, she went down Berkeley, which was perfect for her. And, 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 and she lived down there. She says, don't ever contact me again. And most of us are going, perfect? Because we didn't want it either. Her voice sent chills through us because she was so good at it. One time, she, when we were taking over the furniture business in 1972, she was there in the home, and she had her new child there and, and, and so forth, and, and she was threatening to kill my parents. She was on one of her low days, obviously. And, and, and uh, as I was walking by her on the way to the store one day, and, and she was on the lawn, and she, she looked at me. She says, what's the matter, Jerry? Got, cat got your tongue. Why? Because we were giving her a silent treatment. That's how you pay, make people pay. You just erase them. You censor them. And we were making her pay. What's the matter, Jerry? Cat got your tongue? She was threatening to kill mom and dad. And so I walked over to her. I said, Marie, if you ever do this to mom and dad, you will not live to read about it in tomorrow morning's paper. Now, I just want you to know that was not a word of the Lord. <laughs> I didn't know the Lord at that time. And she looks back. I thought I had the last word on it. She looks at me. She goes, oh, yes, I will, Jerry. You're first on my list. <laughs> so here I am in YWAM San Francisco in the early 2000s. Hadn't seen her for years, and the Lord's speaking to me. I'm across the bay from her. Going to be there for a week, and, and the Lord's saying, you're the Christian. I called my other sister. I said, hey, have you talked to Marie? Are you kidding? That's exactly how I felt. Her voice sent chills through us. I called her, and it went like this. Hello. Hello, Marie. This is Jerry. Hello, Jerry. <laughs> and we were talking for a little while. I said, Marie, I'd like to do something. I'd like to share something. Well, what? I'd like to ask your forgiveness for what I did. And I was very specific. And she goes, whoa, nobody's ever asked me that before. Wow, that feels so good. Yeah, you're forgiven. Oh, that is perfect. Thank you. Hung up the phone. I thought, hallelujah, until the phone rang the next morning. Hello, Jerry. <laughs> you know what we did last night? Yeah, forget it. I'm not giving you that kind of power over me. She thought it through. See, forgiveness by its very nature means that if somebody is, is forgiving, some, in, in that process, somebody has to embrace the loss. It's like this big ball going back and forth, and you remember, you've heard this before. 
going back and forth, and she offends, and I go, oh, yeah, and it goes right back to her, and then back and forth until somebody goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, which I did on the telephone. And she saw herself holding that ball, which is perfect because that's the way it is. But as Christians, somebody pays for sure. But it's not me, and it's not her. It goes to the cross. By his stripes, we are healed. They say forgiving somebody is setting the captive free. Only to realize I'm the one that was taken captive. And we, in this teaching so far, pretty much a lot of you have heard this kind of thing already. But what happens to Marie? What happens to the offender? See, what, what, what actually takes place there? See, I, the, the, the taking on the assignment of making somebody pay, that bitterness is, is so ugly, so it, it destroys my person. It, it works itself out into my very being, and I start looking ugly, you know? Wrinkles start showing up that are not the kind I want. You know, Abraham Lincoln is choosing his cabinet, you know, and a friend was helping him, and he came across what name of a guy, and, and Lincoln goes, nope, not him. The guy goes, you can't reject a guy for, for he says, why, why did you reject him so fast? He says, because of his face. You can't reject a guy because of his face. Lincoln said, yes, I can. By the time a man is 40 years old, he's responsible for how his face looks. That ball's going back and forth. Will you forgive? What is that, that assignment that I took on that I never had the ability to be able to carry forth and get away with it? Jesus said, vengeance is whose? Mine, he said. We do not have the capacity to take on that assignment. I let it go, I forgive, and that weight is off me and you've seen it yourself maybe as you're praying for somebody I don't know how many hundreds of times we've done it and you hear them forgive and they go the assignment's off the captive's set free but what about this person the offender I want to tell you that something happens because of what Christ did at Calvary one of the keys of the kingdom unlocking the kingdom of darkness and allowing the light to come in and and, and, and what it does is it opens up the ability that they get mercies from heaven. And the mercies are not just a word. It's, it's empowered by grace, an empowerment that comes to be able to, to see how they've offended the other person. See, that's what, it, that's what hurt us so bad is they don't even see how they hurt me. See, but now the mercies come in for heaven. It doesn't mean every time you forgive somebody that they're going to go, oh, hallelujah, praise God, I'm a Christian. But that key can unlock the pressures to come on them, that they can actually see. When we first started doing this in the early 90s, I, I, some stories started coming back, and I'm hearing stories of people that had forgiven. And the, I use these stories, and I have literally hundreds of others, a lot of them I don't remember. <laughs> but 
a woman that we prayed, she, she, as she opened up her life, the pain was so deep from an ex-husband where he had brutally raped her. There were scars on her earlobes where he had ripped the earrings out, and there was horrible stuff from that point on I can't tell you about. And, 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 and you could just see the pain in her, and she hadn't seen him for years. But our job as facilitators is to hear her say, I forgive. I forgive. And she did. And I tell you, that woman walked out of the room that night totally free. Three months later, I'm back in that church. She came running up to me. She says, Jerry, I wish you were with me at the football game last Friday night. I said, why? She says, my ex-husband was there. And he saw me and he came over to me and he says, I want you to know in the last few months I've seen what I've done to you. Will you please forgive me? And now she was able to say it face to face. The man starts coming to church, gives his life to Christ. Where did it begin? I forgive him. He wasn't even in the room, but there's a dynamic in the heavenlies that releases that mercies from the court of heaven right into this person's heart. Same group, another woman. Why do I have to forgive my ex-husband for what he did to me and my daughter? And I was really tired. And I said, well, you know, you're going to end up just like him if you don't. And she goes, ha, I forgive him. And I thought, hmm. But I just thought forgiveness isn't a feeling. And I thought that'd be enough. I said, well, do you mean it? She says, yes, I mean it. We prayed for her. And as I left the group I, that night, I thought, well, you know, I wonder. Because there is no feeling to it. But she, we, we speak, it's, it's a choice. It's not a feeling, it's a choice. You, de- you, you speak it out. It, it, we're using the term today, decree. You are decreeing that this person is free. And they'll never, what does forgiveness mean? This person will no longer pay a price for what they've done to me. That's what forgiveness means. The war inside here is over. Young gal down in Northern California, YWAM base. She forgave her mother and her sister. It's on a Thursday. It's the day we did it. And Friday, Saturday, she got together with her mom on the phone and she brought reconciliation. She asked forgiveness and told her exactly the process we had done on Thursday and, and so forth. And, and her mother says, well, what, what, when did you do this? She goes, Thursday. She says, me, just this last Thursday. She goes, yeah. Why? She says, your sister went to church Thursday night and gave her life to Christ. Another person, Northern California, California is full of them. So is Montana. A <laughs> guy went through one of our workshops and he had forgotten to forgive his ex-wife again. And uh, he got together with his home group on a Wednesday night. And he said, would you just hear me decree, just speak out forgiveness to her? And he spoke it out and they prayed for him. Following Sunday, he saw his ex-wife. They were both, you know, you know, not as strange. They, they, they were talking and, and, and so forth at that point. And, and, and he told her, he says, I forgave you. I, for, I forgave you Wednesday. And she goes, wait a minute. When did you do this? Wednesday. You mean just last Wednesday? Four, she goes, you mean four days ago Wednesday? He goes, okay, what's going on? She says, I've told at least three people. Something happened to me Wednesday night. I felt different. 
I didn't know what it was. See, what we're talking about is forgiveness releases heaven. And guys, we need heaven released onto our society right now that is so divided. I started out with the Africa thing because we could see the progression of division that happened within a few days of us coming into Africa and pitted us against them. People that love God and all of a sudden not trusting or whatever. Take a look at what's happened in the last few years. And I want to tell you this morning, we have the keys. We have the keys. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will show you who you're holding captive. It, it could be somebody in your past. It, it could be some political figure that you were so offended by. And, and, and every newscast you have, you listen to just reinforces it. Just like that resentment that goes in deeper and deeper until you come to a place where, hey, let's just have a civil war about this. It's not going to solve it. And yet we have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. It can be something little. It can be a personal thing. Just on, I, I, again, I, I tell, I'll finish with a story. It started way back in 1975 when we sold the furniture business in Northern California to my brother. And I said to him, uh, you know, the contract was $700 a month and, and a balloon payment of $15,000 at the end of three years. And we, we went to Bible school and, and, and we, were, we had this money coming in and we knew it and we're going to be able to. And I, I'm thinking, okay, we could, we could buy a house in Santa Rosa at that point for $25,000, brand new. And I had ideas, and I felt like the Lord said to me, if you ever have a need, just tell me. Don't share anybody. And, and, and even at the end of Bible school, they were talking about, this guy was talking about how his church is supporting him, and this guy has friends and support. And I remember the Bible school president going, and I have no idea what Pretzel's doing. Because we're just telling God. So we go over to Austria, and we're living over there, working into Eastern Europe, and a couple months into it, the, the, the $700 a month stops coming in. And, and we were running out of money. Missions is like a black hole. I mean, it's, it just, it's gonna swallow it all up, you know? But we had nobody that knew our need, and, and no church, is, one church supporting us for about 150 a month, and, and, and that was it. But we had, you know, and, and we were two weeks before Christmas, and we were out of money, nothing. Nothing to look to or whatever, except that my brother owed me this money. And I'm having a quiet time which wasn't too quiet. I had already written him a letter. Dear Paul, you can fill in the blanks. And nothing came back. I found out that his warehouse had burned and he wasn't able to pay. He'd lost 40,000. Boom, I'm gone. And here I am saying, pay me. You know, if you take that figure that he owed me at that point and put it in today's standard, it'd be about $100,000. Having a quiet time. He owes me this money. No, he doesn't. I rebuke the enemy, honestly. Get out of here. Lord, he owes me this money. Nobody owes you anything. Oh, baloney. And I opened up the Bible, and some of you have done this. You needed a word of the Lord, and you just... And guess where my finger ended up? 
on that parable of the guy that was forgiven millions. And the finger is right at the point to where that guy is strangling his fellow slave for a few bucks. And the Lord said to me, you're the guy. I came out of my quiet time. I said, Linda, how was your quiet time? Interesting. What? Well, nobody owes us anything. Obedience has to be fast. Dear Paul, a little note. The business is paid in full. Love, Jerry. Put it in the envelope, address it, and I'm standing at the post office. I'm still in control of this thing. And I said, Lord, if this is in you, I'm dead. But when I let it go, the peace that you cannot believe flooded me. Walked out into the, you know, we had a VW van back then, part of the ministry, and Linda and I were in the back seat. We just started giggling at the absurdity of this thing we had just done. Two days before Christmas, I get a, a, a call, uh, 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 not a call, but a letter from my brother, and, and he had a couple thousand dollars in there for a, a, a dining room set that we had asked him to sell. And, and he said, Dear Jerry, thank you. And he took me up on it. Within a month, people were writing us letters, Dear Jerry and Linda, God has put you on our hearts, and we want to start supporting you. And within a month, it had gone up to $700 a month, even. And it was like, God, you are real. You are real. I tell you that story, and I could tell you so many more, that we don't just know that God provides, but we know he's the provider. We know him. We know him. It's not the money. Forgiveness releases heaven. Father, I would just pray that you would, as we're just in this last song, as the worship team is leading us in, that you would breathe. Breathe on us to release the pain and to release the offender. It could be a father, a mother, a teacher. It could be a sibling. It could be a peer. It could be anything. But Lord, I'm asking that you give us the courage to be able to let it go and just say, you are forgiven. How do you forgive? You decree it. You decree it, guys. You don't want to forgive. People go, oh, I want to forgive. That doesn't do it at all. You know, I like to use the illustration of Linda at our wedding. You know, the priest says, do you, Linda, take Jerry? And she goes, I want to. <laughs> doesn't do a thing. I say, you just do it. As, as, as we're just doing this, if, if you, you know that there's so, somebody came to you, into your mind in the, in the last few minutes, and you know you got some business to do, would you stand up right now? I'm not going to make you do anything else. Uh, but there should be a lot of people standing. You know, this is, it, it's taken over our society. And you know you've got business to do. 
I want you, by your standing, that, that you're saying, I'm going to do the business. I'm going to go to them. Or I am going to get, to get together with somebody that you know the Spirit of God is in and say, would you help me here? Would you listen to this decree? And I want you to say amen to it. And I want you to purpose to do it. Don't, don't put it off. Don't put it off. I believe if we did this, if all of you do this, this valley will know the difference.